7 Studios. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. Paragon, Paragon 7, 7 Studios. this from cnn.com i got got isaac palmer with me he's continuing our series about black men's health but i but i have him in the i have him in the hot seat so when when i have people in the hot seat that that aren't here to talk specifically about health care i throw random topics out and 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 you have to have the mental dexterity to to keep up with with the host this is a very I'm ready. This is a very polarizing topic that I couldn't really talk about when I was on ESPN or on NBC Sports Radio. Dave Chappelle's latest Netflix special, oh, reading from the article, man. may have attracted a barrage of criticism from the LGBTQ community, but there is another group that he is offended that no one mentions. Long list Going further into the CNN article, the long list of black comics who affirmed gender nonconforming people or members of the LGBTQ community themselves. The article goes on to say that Richard Pryor was a bisexual and raised money for gay rights. Moms Mabley, who I didn't even know who that was. I had to had to look that up, was the was the first black female stand up comic to go mainstream. That was a lesbian. Cross-dressing black men have created some of the enduring comic characters in black comic history from comedian Flip Wilson, who I love. Flip Wilson was one of the best ever. Devil Made We Do It character of Geraldine. So, of course, Tyler Perry's Medina, but Medea, who we all who we all know and have had Medea. Murphy did it. Whether whether you like Medea or not, it's been shoved down our throats for the last 20 years. But uh, he has he's a billionaire off of Medea. So I can't. can't Damon Wayans did it. Tyler Perry. Uh, it goes further to say in an article on CNN.com, black comics have indeed peddled their fair share of harmful stereotypes about LGBTQ people. Eddie Murphy, for example, unleashed a blistering series of homophobic slurs in his early stand-up routines like Ron Raw, performances for which he's since apologized. Uh, but the stage has been one of those few places in the black community where LGBTQ members had some measure of freedom to be themselves or to escape the cruelty they faced in the outside world, Chappelle has taken some of that space away. Now, before I get your opinion, because I'm not trying to set you up to step in something. What could you be possibly asking me or, or anything like about that? About this. Um, <laughs> this is my thoughts. I did a monologue on the special last week. Okay. I did not like the special. I did not like the closer I liked I liked for, for Dave Chappelle. Not because of the, the comments, because I think that the great comics... Uh, the great comics, they push it to the limit. The great entertainers, period. Mm-hmm. Um, rather it's music, rather it's comedy, rather it's movies. They push themselves. So Dave, Dave Chappelle's job, the reason that he's one of the best comedians in the world today, if not the history, is that he takes it right to the edge where it's not really comedy anymore. And that's what he's supposed to do. What I didn't love about the special is that I just feel like he's put so much time into this topic. And there's so many other yes. interesting topics 
with COVID, mm-hmm. with the presidency, with Trump. There's so much stuff going on. His previous specials, if he's talking for an hour and a half, he spent 20 minutes on his fight with the LGBTQ community. He spent the whole hour and a half going in on transgender people. And I just thought that was excessive. I thought that he's obsessed. Yes. Now, I understand these people have been ripping him a new arse for the last, for the last part in the pun, for the last 10 years. And he talks about how he's at a Whole Foods, minding his business, getting groceries, shopping in Yellow Springs. And somebody walks up to him and starts cursing him out because they saw his series on Netflix. So it's very personal for him but this is the point that i wanted to make and and before i hand it off to you although i didn't love his special i watched it once i didn't really like it i haven't watched it since most of his specials i watch in a constant rotation while i'm at work if you don't like his special no one's putting a gun to your head and forcing you to download netflix and watch it. And that's what I wanted to talk about. I didn't want to get your opinions on the LGBT community. I'm not trying to give you to say anything. <laughs> I have them. I'm ready. Or anything like that. But I just don't understand. He's not forcing you to watch it. Like, yes. I didn't like it, so I didn't watch it again. If you like it, you can watch it as much as you want. But I'm, I'm very surprised at the uproar because he's not forcing this on us. It's not network TV. He you said don't have that to in watch the it. special. You, you have to find him to find these offensive things that he's yes. saying. And I wanted your opinion on that. So my history with the special is I saw I saw ba- that basic routine live right. in, in Ohio. I went to oh, the, okay. the cornfield. Oh, um, so you were one of the people. Yeah, I, I got the mask. Now, how was that experience? Because I've never, I've never seen Chappelle mask. in person. It's amazing. I'm sure it is. And I, I walked away from that Was special. Ashley Larry there? Yes, he was. Was Jerobi from Tribe Called Quest there? Like the no, whole, he wasn't. The whole crew. Okay. Ashley Larry was there. All right. I walked away from that, from that routine thinking, this is different than what Chappelle has done because mm. less jokes, more commentary. Right. But still captivating. Okay. And, and that is what I, I, so I had the same takeaway as you is why do we keep talking about LBGQs? Yes. But I had, so when I watched it the second time, so now this is my third time live, mm-hmm. watching on Netflix once, and then twice on Netflix, I had to remind myself of what Dave Chappelle said himself is this. My commentary has nothing to do with the LBGTQs. It is about racism, about racism in America. Right. That is his fixation. Do you believe that? Totally. Got it. Totally. And I was explaining to someone. And, 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 and I think if that's the case, and maybe it's over my head, then he really is an extremely brilliant man because he's paralleling. And he says he said it was easier for Caitlyn Jenner to change her gender than it was for Muhammad Muhammad Ali to change change from Cassius Clay. And if that's really truly his center and that's the crux of the message that he's getting out, then that's a beautiful message. But he did it at the expense of jokes about LBGTQs. And that in my and 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 that brings up the whole argument of of do we let comedians just crack jokes about anything? Right. Do, think, think about think about the, the, the gay person, right. the, the transgender right. sitting in the audience and hearing these jokes about 
they're kind. But think do they about have the to black person there? hearing black jokes but from do they a have white to sit comedian. There? But do they have to sit there? That's my question. If you're no, if you know if you're transgender that he's going to say this because this is what he's done his last four. Do you know? Specials. Do you know? So why would you why would you expose yourself to Dave Chappelle if you if you know that? I don't think anyone stick. could know what jokes are going to be said, and so I, I have to I have to walk in their shoes and okay. understand. Fair enough. Some of this is hurtful. Some of this is hurtful. I agree. I agree. I just, I just, I find it to be a fascinating topic because, and it's not about my opinion or if that's my belief or my religious beliefs. Um, I've learned during my time in healthcare that, you know, going back to healthcare, we're, you know, have some, after the next break, we'll have some series of interviews. To have a healthy country, to have a healthy going down state, to have a healthy health plan, to have a healthy zip code. You got to manage everyone's health. Mm-hmm. You got to manage everyone's physical, mental, spiritual, whatever you believe in. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're lesbian. I don't care if you're transgender. I don't care if you're straight. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're Asian. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're Native American. It's my job as a healthcare executive to make sure that you're the best you that you can possibly be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So rather I choose to live a certain way or I may say that, hey, this is what goes on in the Lewis household and this is your household and your household's different. That, does, that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. Who cares what I think? I'm not looking, when I'm looking at someone's medical records, I'm not considering what lifestyle they live or what they yeah, believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just see that, all right, this person has a tumor, this person has chronic illness. What can we do to get this person to be as healthy as possible so they can contribute to society and love their family? And so I think we, we get divided by all the political lines and stuff. But David Chappelle being one of the most polarizing and largest celebrities in the country has an amazingly large platform in, in that deal with Netflix. I just did think, you know, what I what I took away from that, and you're you're bringing me back. Is he really using the platform to to point out racism and how the LGBTQ movement has superseded racism? I think as so. the preeminent movement for for equality in America when we've been suffering for 400 years. I think so. Or is he just having a personal, you know, uh, swinging contest between him <laughs> and, and people in that community? Because they're taking pot shots at him. He's taking pot shots at them. It, it could Ultimately, be. he's funnier and richer and more popular yeah, yeah. than the person Bigger on the podium. keyboard in, in, in bully, Los Angeles or San podium. Francisco. But which one is it? It seemed like it was the bully pulpit to me, but but yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're making me think a little bit differently. Well, but we can't we can't ignore the collateral damage. So That's true. If, if it was That's altruistic and he's got point. this bigger point, point, you can't ignore that people were hurt. But what I what I want to get away from is this cancel culture. Mm. You know, he hurt people. He was offensive. You weren't promised to walk through America and not be offended. That's a good point. Sometimes you get no. offended. No, that's a, and, and, and so this is a man speaking his truth, no. freedom of speech. All, all I can do is recognize, Dave, you hurt some people. Right. Who hasn't hurt people? I ain't snitching on nobody from Harlem, man. I give you a couple cats down in D.C. doing their thing, out of town doing their thing, but um, I'm not snitching on nobody in Harlem because when I come home, I'm still going to be the king. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. We begin searching for ways to not only feed, not only bridge the access to food, but how can we fight disease? Quite naturally, that required, it was a must 
that we figure out how to get fresh produce, crisp greens, leafy greens, and fruits and herbs and vegetables directly to the front door of those families that needed it the most. And so we finally come out with a solution and we call that Full Cart Fresh. We have teamed up with some of the, the greatest people in America, our American farmers. And through working with a collaborative of farmers across multiple states, we have created Full Cart Fresh. So imagine this, you're at a farm, the produce is picked and prepared, and it's boxed in a Full Cart Fresh box at the farm. And then through our shipping and logistics uh, program, we ship directly from the farm, directly to the front door of the most vulnerable families in America. We have got families and seniors and children around the country who are hungry and as well as hungry are really managing and coping with serious illnesses and diseases. So come along, help us. Help feeding children everywhere through our Full Cart program and the launch of our new Full Cart Fresh. Help those families in need. Rampage, the first lieutenant of the Universal Flipmo Squad. The construction Tims are classic in Philly they and are. New York. They are. Connecticut. James Lewis. I've never been to Connecticut, man. Connecticut, Jersey, you definitely from uptown, New York. You're definitely Manhattan, from New York if you shout it out, Connecticut. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. Now I want everybody to clap your hands in this place. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. Before we go into the next interview, I'm gonna test Isaac Morris testing his metal. What what album is this? Do you recognize? Oh, got me on that one. Um, this is so. This is Jay Lib. This is the album nice. that Jay Dilla and Mad Lib did together. Yeah, it was yeah, a yeah, long, yeah. long time ago. It was like 1998 or 1999. So you had the two Titan producers. I've heard that album. And, and the way Jay Lib works, Jay Dilla would do yep. a track and Mad Lib would rap over it, and then Mad Lib would do a track and Jay Dilla would rap over it. So it's kind of considered with uh, Jay Dilla putting out so much posthumous work and being considered by many on the Mount Rushmore for for hip hop artists and producers. So this is this is one of, this is the song the official. If you're listening to this, you want to check it out. A lot of people DM me about the music that's played on the show. Um, Especially those that aren't in hip hop, and they say, "Where do you get those beats from, and how can I find the artists that do that?" So we we try to play some different stuff. I'm gonna turn it back over to Isaac. We're continuing our interview series of, of Black Men's Health, and we have a really great guest. I'm very excited about some of the stuff we're about to get into to discuss. I'll turn it over to you, Isaac. Yeah. So we got on the phone. We got Dr. Gene Wright. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, Dr. Wright is a psychologist and has spent uh, several years in Philadelphia working with inmates. I I know I'm simplifying that. Dr. Wright, you want to say that more intelligently? What is your role? 
what is my role? I am a, my training is as a clinical and forensic psychologist. And um, my current role is I'm deputy commissioner for the city of Philadelphia Department of Behavioral Health. Oh, man. And also clinical faculty at Temple University in Philadelphia. So my, my role in the daytime is basically to oversee all the programs and initiatives to support returning citizens, not just from jails and prisons, but also from psychiatric hospitalization. Well, before you get started, we love Philly on this show. Um, this show started, uh, my first big radio break was on ESPN Radio in Philadelphia on, wow. on uh, okay. the, the infamous 610 Sports and, <laughs> and had a chance to be on there. I, I sat in the same chair that Stephen A. Smith once sat in many years ago. So uh, we okay. we love Philadelphia. <laughs> I, I often use the word John and ball on the show because we're, we're Philadelphia oriented. And it's, and a lot of the, a lot of the great NCs, uh, Beanie Siegel, Gilly, the kid, um, um, freeway have, have done, have done this show back in the Philly days. So we, we love Philly before you get started. Fabulous. Fabulous. So Dr. Wright, we, we had, this uh, series has included, uh, some very good in- interviews with black men just telling their stories. What we want to do with you is just let you talk. Uh, I sent Dr. Wright an article, a, a, an extensive research article by ProPublica mm-hmm. uh, explaining why black men have have been hit hardest by COVID. Mm-hmm. And they, unra- they, they unpacked a ton. And, and so I would just ask you to Google ProPublica black men COVID and you will, you will find a treasure trove of, of information. Mm-hmm. But with Dr. Wright's expertise and his thoughts, I'm just going to say, what do you think of the article? Wow, the article was sobering. Um, it certainly was not new information for me, considering the space that I work in in Philadelphia and with the intersection of behavioral health, social determinants of health, mm-hmm. um, specifically uh, poverty, trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you see how that is connected to poor health outcomes. It's just the article just jumped off the page because it touched every uh, fiber of my being as a black man, but also Mm. as a clinician, because Mm. I kept nodding my head saying, yes, yes, yes. That is what we're going through. The thing that really hit me was that it's, it's so easy to think in terms of um, how health disparities are because of the people and that is what we call blaming the victim so when people talk about pre-existing conditions and that being the main reason why uh african americans are more subjected to poor outcomes for covid they're skipping the the glaring elephant in the room that says there's a reason why african americans have pre uh preconditions uh and poor health when you think about uh, the impact of trauma. The impact of trauma uh, is impactful in mind, body, and spirit, what I consider your holistic self. Every aspect of your being mm. is impacted by trauma, almost to the point where children who are growing up with we, uh, what is well known now, the research from Kaiser Permanente called adverse childhood experiences, well, and they, re- they replicated that study in Philadelphia and other urban areas um, that looked at the national uh, data was three 
adverse childhood experiences, neglect, abuse, that kind of thing. In Philadelphia and other large urban communities, black children tend to have five to seven more Mm. adverse childhood experiences than white children. And so when you think about that and and that trauma actually impacts and changes your DNA, I know you have a physician that you're going to talk to. And so you want to verify that with him, but I'm talking about research, what it says. And so if trauma can change your DNA and it can impact your, uh, your mindset and how you think and how you move and how you feel about yourself, think about what it does to your psyche. Think about what it does to wake up every day for a black parent, uh, mother, grandmother, father to send their black boy out to school and hope that he returns unscathed. Uh, think about what it means to go to work every day and put your armor on and look in the mirror and go, okay, whew, let's go out there and see if we can survive another day, brother. You know, talking to yourself in the mirror to talk yourself into the courage that it takes to be a black man in America. And then after you consider those things, then come back and talk to me about preconditions. Then come and talk to me about why black men's health is poor and why black people in general have a seven year or more uh, uh, mortality rate compared to white people the same age. And so when you add all those things up, it is not enough for physicians and epidemiologists and researchers to talk about the poor lifestyle of black men and black people in general as the cause for their health disparities and outcomes for COVID. It's irresponsible, it's lazy, and frankly, it's wrong. It's funny, but I'm gonna interject real briefly. I'm a part of several social determinants of health directives and conversations in my experience in healthcare. And one of the things that we always talk about in African-American communities, from an exercise standpoint, you gotta have green space, Isaac. You have to have parks mm-hmm. to go out and run and to walk and to get fresh air. In our communities, we don't even have that. Yeah. We have delis. We have uh, liquor stores. We have things that push poor health. And then we don't even have the space to exercise if we wanted to exercise. And that's just part of city planning. You know, we talk about network okay. construct from healthcare. Do you have access to an endocrinologist? Do you have access to a psychiatrist? And and this is this is such an important discussion that we're having because we're set up to fail, unfortunately, by the system. Yeah. yeah. So what, what, yes. I, what I wanted to ask Dr. Wright is you talked about the trauma, but is, is it, it feels like it's doubly worse to me when you grow up in these environments and then that becomes normal because everyone is experiencing the same trauma at the same level. And does, does that make, does that make it harder to see that that intervention is needed? Uh, does, does that make, does that, does that cause the person to ignore the trauma and not address it? Because everyone, everyone is, is dealing with the same problems. Well, what I would say is I would push back gently on the everybody's experiencing the same problems. Uh, when, when this whole COVID thing first started uh, about 18 months ago, I was on a lot of different radio programs. And one of the things I, I talked about was uh, people saying, well, you know, we're all in the same boat. You know, we're all dealing with this mm. thing. And and I had to correct them. I that said, was the well, slogan no, that's... was we're all in this together. Yeah, the, 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 the yeah no. Yeah. And, and, and you and I know that's wrong. Right. Um, and what I said at the time, and I still believe mm. it, is we're all in the same storm. Right. Yeah. But we're in different boats. Different boats. Yeah, yeah. I heard, I heard the collective okay. black America say 
Uh-uh. Yeah. Some of us, some of us are some of us are in a yacht and some of us are in a in a in a, in a, a banana boat raft trying to paddle. You got it, man. We're yeah. some of us are in a dinghy. Yeah. Okay? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And some of us are hanging on a raft by our Literally. thumbs, clinging. Literally. Literally. Right? Okay. So we all agree on that. And so then if you look at the diversity within the African American community specifically, um even that trauma is not the same. Yeah. Because we have different subcultures within the black community. Um, and, and so one of the things, I think I may have shared this with you, Isaac, a, a, a few months ago, um, Nathan, Nathan Williams uh, is a director and producer of a documentary called Burden, B-U-R-D-E-N, uh, brother out of Chicago. I would recommend any of your listeners to get, it's only 20 minutes, but it, it chronicles the day in the life of an African-American male. In this particular case, I won't give it away, but I'll just give you enough to say that the person featured was not from street culture, wasn't uh, experiencing poverty or any of those things. This person was a high achiever, but it still chronicled the micro and macro aggressions that black men experience on a daily basis. Anybody who watches that documentary, whether you're rich, poor, in between, every black man will say, and they'll be, you'll be nodding your head as you watch this thing going, yep, I've experienced that. Yep. Wow. I've gone through that. Yep. I will stop driving while black on and on and on. Yeah. So no, we're not all experiencing the same thing. Yes. We all are experiencing trauma. And then you have to look at the individual differences. You know, how were you raised? What kind of supports and environment, what kind of resources did you have? That's going to also dictate how you handle trauma. It's going to dictate how you deal with racism and discrimination because it doesn't impact all black people equally. Right. And so when you start breaking it down, you really start to see that, um, you know, this we're not this is not a monolithic. You know, this Mm. this is this is diverse. Mm. And, 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 And so what we're really looking at is individual strengths will feed into a collective strength if we understand that by removing black men from the community and then locking them up, what we call mass incarceration and or where we started the program, which is, you know, COVID and killing more black people than others. Mm-hmm. We have to have both. We have to have individual strength because if we don't have individual black, strong black men in the community that are making a livable wage, that are able to take care of their family that are able to participate meaningfully in the political process and and have economic resources and power. Um, Then we see what we see. And I don't know how it is in Chicago, but I can tell you in Philadelphia, we are already on pace to break our homicide rate. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. And and I think if I named any city in America, we, they would have the same story. So yeah, man. uh, So we gotta, uh, we gotta wrap up. But tell yeah, me, yeah. Uh, I'm very interested in mental strength, not mental mm-hmm. health, not mental illness, but mm-hmm. mental mm-hmm. strength. G- give yes. our listeners one or two things to maintain, mm-hmm. achieve, get, if you don't have any of it. Uh, yeah. what, what, can they, what can they do? Yeah, I like how you put that, uh, uh, Isaac, about mental strength and not mental illness. I often tell people that when people talk about mental health, they automatically assume you're talking about mental illness Mm. and you're not mental health is mental health. It's physical health. It's any kind of health is health, whether it's mental, physical, whatever. So that's the first thing. Mental health is about resiliency. It's about self-determination. It's about recovery. 
And so when I think of mental health or mental strength, that is what black people have been doing for 400 years. There's a reason why the people who survived the, mm. the middle passage are the same ancestors that we are standing on the shoulders of now because they had mental strength, they had resiliency, they had self-determination and they were able to recover. Mm. And so mm -hmm. that is what it is. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network.